Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. In this episode, vanilla. The flavor that everyone says is staid and boring is anything but. In the world of beer, we see it again and again, first and foremost in stouts of all sizes and shapes. But boy, is it expensive these days. So why is it so budgetarily ruinous? I'm talking with Sarah Anderson of Injury Vanilla and the Vanilla Bean Co-op on Facebook to explore what makes vanilla both such a profound base note and what makes it so dear. But first, a message from our sponsors. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Welcome back, everybody. And as I said in the introduction, vanilla seems to be misunderstood, misappreciated. Everybody seems to have somehow made it into a synonym for bland. And at least in my mind, vanilla is anything but. And obviously, if you've been paying attention to the beer market recently, you've seen a number of pastry stouts out there. You've seen a number of beers using very, very large, very, very expensive amounts of vanilla in them. Now, I can tell you a little bit about vanilla, but I'm more of a beer guy, and I figured we'd bring somebody in who could tell us a lot more about vanilla and also uh, tell you just why it is so expensive and why you should be using the good stuff. Sarah, introduce yourself to everybody. I'm Sarah Anderson. I am the owner and CEO of Indri Vanilla. Um, We sell vanilla beans from around the world, and we just love vanilla. (laughs) So how did you get into the vanilla business? Because if I remember correctly, you're in Utah, right? And Utah is not exactly a hot hot spot of vanilla cultivation. It certainly is not. Far from it. If you were to grow vanilla in Utah, it would be outlandish. Um, A friend of mine got me into the vanilla market, I guess. Um, uh, She was a very busy um, friend of mine, and she decided to do a vanilla bean co-op when she had a break from a couple of her other jobs. And I told her, you are way too busy for that. Let me help you. And so I helped her with it. And long story short, I ended up taking over. So it's, it's quite a long story. And I don't know if we need the details, but that's kind of the sum up. You basically helped yourself right into a job and a business. I guess <laughs> <laughs> to owning a business, not intentionally, not at all intentionally, but 
it worked out that way and it's been a blessing since i i ended up finding you god i can't remember who somebody in the uh, brewing circles had forwarded me the the facebook co-op uh, uh-huh. group and i that's when i got into it and i was like ooh, wow okay this is way more complicated than i thought <laughs> <laughs> Can you actually describe the co-op for people? So the Facebook co-op that we have. So I own Indri Vanilla, which is the company. And then we also have a Facebook group where we offer bulk orders when we are when we need to order vanilla beans for our business inventory. We offer um, a pre-order to our co-op on Facebook and people can get on and get practically wholesale prices um, on vanilla beans. And it just helps people... My Our goal with it is to get affordable vanilla beans to as many people as we can. And that we've been pretty successful in that. Well, and I think that actually is a good point because I jokingly referred to it in the, in the past or in the intro that brewers today are using things where I joke about the street value of the amount of vanilla that they're using yeah. because vanilla is yeah. very expensive. It is. It's historically as expensive as silver. So it it is a very very expensive item and it just it's because it's so intensive to grow and produce so it is a very expensive item and let's talk about that because i always think of when i think vanilla i mean it's hard to look at a bean like this and say oh that came from a flower but it did (laughs) yeah they come from orchids the vanilla planifolia orchid it originated in mexico and then has been taken around the world to other tropical climates and grown. But the the bee that pollinates the orchid is native to Mexico and essentially extinct. They're very rare. So all commercially produced vanilla is hand pollinated. There's a person who pollinated the flower for every single bean that exists, which is just mind boggling, especially when you consider that the flower only blooms for one day and it has to be pollinated in the morning. So there's a very short window of time to go out and hand pollinate those flowers. So it's just very labor intensive. Yeah. And you don't exactly get a day off. No, no, definitely not. And then after the flower is pollinated, they grow into a bean and then they have to hand pick the beans and the beans are then cured. There's a couple of methods that they use for curing. The beans can either be dipped in, in hot water to kill the bean and then steamed, or they can be just dried in the sun. Um, In Mexico, beans are typically dried in the sun. That's the Mexican curing method. And the bourbon curing method, which originates from the bourbon islands, has nothing to do with the alcohol, (laughs) except sharing a name, I guess. (laughs) The bourbon curing method is where they use hot water and steam. So they dip the beans in hot water, wrap them in a blanket where the beans steam for a while, And then they lay them out on the ground, typically, to dry until they're the moisture content that they want them to end up at. So again, still a very manual process uh, and a lot of labor. Now, from the time that they do that hand pollination to the curing and the fermentation and then the drying, how long of a period of time is that? It's about six to eight weeks or so. Okay. How much longer does it take to get the, the beans actually to market? Um, probably another two to four weeks. So they after the cure or the after the pollination and the curing and all of that, the beans have to be sorted a handful of times as well for length, make to make sure they don't have any splits in them. Um, and throughout this whole process, 
mold is also a common concern. One one moldy bean can spoil a whole batch, and so they have to make sure that they're the weather is just right and that they're avoiding too much rain or problems during the drying process. It's just very, very intensive the whole time. Let's talk about the beans themselves because you had mentioned, okay, it comes from this one orchid, but I know there are a couple different types of of vanilla bean along with Mm -hmm. a whole thing about terroir and where it's grown and, and as you mentioned, also the curing methods. Yeah, for sure. What are the major types of vanilla? So there's three species of vanilla. There's vanilla pompona, which is actually quite rare um, and typically more of a wild vanilla. Um, there's vanilla tahitensis, which is the Tahitian vanilla, and it has a slightly brighter, more floral kind of a flavor profile. Yeah, and it always reminds me actually of uh, of Play-Doh, actually. Of Play-Doh? <laughs> yeah, very weirdly. <laughs> Everyone has a different sniffer and everybody will have different opinions on how things smell. Um, I, I kind of get just a brightness from mm-hmm. Tahitian vanilla, but it just really depends. The classic, most common vanilla that we would are most likely to see on the market is vanilla planifolia. And that's the standard, the Madagascar bourbon cured vanilla planifolia is kind of the most popular, most widely available type of vanilla bean that there is. I know what later this year, the co-op is getting in beans from Uganda. Um, And you guys Mm -hmm. had talked about like how that changes the the flavor. And so, I mean, how many different growing regions are we dealing with? So um, anywhere that's tropical really can grow vanilla Um, in the co-op and on in the co-op, we have um, kind of fewer, options because we have to make sure we can get them in the right quantities for the Mm -hmm. co-op. But in the past, in the co-op, we've um, offered vanilla titensis from Papua New Guinea, vanilla planifolia from Papua New Guinea, um, Indonesian vanilla, Madagascar vanilla, Ugandan vanilla, and Sri Lankan vanilla. So those are, that's just kind of a a broad view of the the types of places that grow vanilla. Um, And on our retail website we also have hawaiian vanilla and mexican vanilla Um, but those ones aren't produced in as big of quantities and they tend to be a little bit more pricey so we since the co-op's goal is to get affordable vanilla to as many people as we can we aim to keep our price points a little lower so we tend to just have those more specialty varieties Mm -hmm. pretty much just offered on our retail site yeah, and, and I know my co-host, uh, who is not here today, but we will, I will be talking about one of his recipes, uh, and he's famous for using vanilla in one of his recipes. He swears by H- Hawaiian vanilla, but he, he managed okay. to get uh, like a lifetime supply of Hawaiian vanilla because his uh, sister worked for one of the, the farms. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not a very practical option for the rest of us. <laughs> no, not, uh, not everybody that has a sister that works for a vanilla bean farm. <laughs> Like we said, the terroir does affect the the flavor. So the Tahitian vanilla not grown in Tahiti will taste different depending upon where it is. The bourbon vanilla would taste different everywhere. Because I think you said, if I remember correctly, the Ugandan beans, and I think those were bourbon vanilla beans, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the Ugandan beans are vanilla planifolia and they're bourbon cured and they have flavor notes of chocolate. My niece came in once when we were working on the Ugandan vanilla beans and she smelled the air and said, are you making brownies? Like it smells like you're making brownies. It's really interesting. 
It's true, but uh, and I can't wait to actually get my hands on those and give them a sniff. Like I alluded to in our pre-chat, I have uh, my bag of serious vanilla beans. So I think right now you guys are naming all the the pre-orders after Harry Potter characters, right? Yes. Because yes. um, I am a nerd. <laughs> hey, why not? Um, but the the serious that I have here, the Madagascar bourbon vanilla, and even though they're in the baggie and I haven't put them into the alcohol yet, uh, they are perfuming my whole podcast space. So it's quite a lovely scent. Yeah. My, unfortunately, going through tons of vanilla beans in your, in your house or in your workspace, um, you kind of get nose blind to yeah. them. And my, I, I have to ask other people what, what fragrance notes they're getting from different types of beans, because sometimes I just can't really smell it anymore because it's just everywhere. I'm just used to it. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Probably bad. Well, hey, I mean, I I think I think that's fine. You know, just go take a walk around the block and come back. Yeah, seriously. Uh, actually, if we always tell uh, beer judges and wine judges because as you as you smell things, yeah, you do go nose wine to them. We always tell mm-hmm. beer and wine judges when they're in the process of actually doing their judging, if you actually can't smell anything anymore, you've kind of lost that sense. Go and sniff your shirt sleeve for like twenty seconds. And it's a miracle yep. how much it works. Sniffing your own skin or coffee beans. There you go. Yeah. Coffee beans are uh, yeah uh, work as well. That's what they use in sensory sensory evaluation of food. That's from my food science degree. <laughs> That's what we always use. Yeah, I, uh, I was gonna I was gonna mention that because I was told yeah you you have a food science degree and now here you are sort of accidentally working in vanilla. I assume that was uh, yeah how how does that work? <laughs> so unintentional but it has turned out really really well <laughs> well and actually yeah i think that's a a, a good a good place to seg- segue to because vanilla has i mean, for this thing that is so manually done such a labor-intensive process the vanilla bean itself is an incredibly complex thing so can you can you talk a little bit about like what people get with vanilla because i know like the big star of the show is vanillin right that that, that one compound vanillin yes so the primary compound that gives vanilla its flavor is vanillin, and it's kind of the the main thing. Um, but vanilla beans have hundreds of other compounds in them that also impart nuance and additional flavor um, to the bean. And if like so, in artificial vanilla, they typically just focus on vanillin. And artificial vanilla is typically produced from wood pulp in commercial settings and it just doesn't have as much nuance and as many of those additional compounds as a vanilla bean has for brewers that's the reason why you know a lot of the a lot of these big beers that people will age in bourbon barrels for instance end up with a strong vanilla note because it's actually leaching vanillin from the wood just like what they do to make yeah the artificial extract so we got vanilla vanilla beans giving more depth. I mean, because we've already talked. I mean, notes of chocolate, notes uh, notes of vanilla. Like I know, as you said, everybody's got a, a different sniffer. You know, the, the the Tahitian beans come off more floral. I get a little play doh. I'm a weirdo. What do you want? Um, <laughs> and and then you get like these incredible raisin type aromas. I mean, there's a just a ton of different compounds in a vanilla bean, and I think even. So I know infamously America's test kitchen did a, a test years ago where they said, Oh, well, you know, look, you can, turns out you can use a high quality, uh, artificial extract 
when you're baking and you'll never be able to tell the, mm -hmm. the difference. Um, even as much faith as I put into America's Test Kitchen, I still don't buy that one. I think I can tell the difference when in a baked good. I I always put way more vanilla than a recipe calls for because, I mean, I can. <laughs> I like it, you know? And I really feel like adding vanilla caviar adds so much more depth and flavor to a recipe than just the vanilla. And I mean, in a baked good, like in cookies, where most of it, most of the alcohol cooks it off and it's a, such a tiny amount, like a teaspoon in a batch of cookies, of it, yeah, it's probably not going to make a huge difference. But if you're talking about like a pudding or a creme brulee or something that uses that the vanilla is really the focus of the dish, that's where it's really going to shine. Yeah, I'm very much of the opinion that vanilla falls into the same category as, uh, say, garlic, in which case it's like, yeah, there's never actually enough. Yes, that's the thing you measure with your heart, not with a spoon. <laughs> All right. Well, you just dropped a term that I, that I don't think most listeners are going to be uh, familiar with because we've been talking about beans and, you know, these glorious grade A long beans that we have here. Mm -hmm. There are different parts to them and different ways of using them. Uh, uh, one of the fascinating things I've seen on the, the Facebook group is all the different uses people have come up with and some of which I've would have never even occurred to me to do, even though I know it's a use. Yeah. With, with the bean, we've got the bean itself, all that nice leathery skin, mm -hmm. but then you also drop the term caviar. Yeah. So when you scrape or you cut the bean down lengthwise, typically in, you'll see like chefs do this on cooking shows or whatever when they're being extra fancy. Uh, but they, if you cut the bean lengthwise and use a knife to scrape out the seeds inside the pod of the bean, that's we call that the vanilla caviar. It looks a little bit like caviar. It's little tiny specks of, of seeds inside the bean. They are not viable seeds. You couldn't grow anything from them, but they sure taste good. Well, and uh, I always, and I know this is a, this, there are food companies that get around this and actually use this to trick you. But yeah, if you look at like a good vanilla ice cream, like I will always think a, a vanilla ice cream is better if I can see those little flecks. Yes. That's how I pick vanilla ice cream. I just get vanilla bean ice cream every time. <laughs> <laughs> kind of freaks people out if you make a root beer float. <laughs> I'm fine with it. But I mean, but again, this does go back to the point, like somehow vanilla has gotten this reputation or this connotation in society as bland. And it's really not. I mean, like if you can, if you take a a scoop of, of a good vanilla ice cream and a scoop of say a sweet cream, so same base, but the sweet cream doesn't have the vanilla, you can definitely tell the difference. It's not a, it's not a bland thing. So it's just weird to me. Yeah. Or like sweetened whipped cream versus sweetened whipped cream with the vanilla in it. Yeah. By the way, yeah. Sweetened whipped cream with vanilla is one of the places where I think I probably put a little too much vanilla in, but <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> it's not possible. Yeah. Um, all right. So we, we've got the beans and like, like I said, you guys do pre-orders and I pre-ordered these serious beans. What? A couple months ago in April. Yeah. In April. Okay. And, and we're recording this in middle of June. So that's not too bad. Yeah. Our turnaround times have improved now that COVID's wrapping up during, during the midst of COVID, we had to kind of limit how many people we could have helping us fill pre-orders, but we're improving on that now. So our, our estimated turnaround time for pre-orders going forward is closer to four to six weeks. 
Yeah, I saw that you had an army of helpers in, I guess, your your dining room uh, on a live video the other day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? Yeah. All right, so let's get into the nitty gritty about like how you guys actually talk about using these, because again, like I said, way more uses than I had thought of. And the easy one, of course, is to start with making an extract or tincture. Yeah, that's kind of the basic starting point is to make extract. This is one of the funny points because you guys have a wonderful set of files with all these different recipes to to make all this stuff in the group. But one of the things is you guys talking very, very carefully about the alcohol choices that you make in order to maximize your extract and preserve your beans, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we have this frequently asked questions document that has the combined knowledge of hundreds of years of extract making and experience because we've taken people's experiences from the co-op, our own experience. Um, everyone, as, as we learn more, we update this document. Um, we have found that the best proof to use when making vanilla extract is between 80 proof and about 120 proof. Mm-hmm. We've had people try and use higher proof alcohol, like straight Everclear, and it dries out the beans and they, the beans just get crispy and it kind of stops extracting very well. So that's why we recommend to use somewhere in that 80 to 120 proof range for making extract. The big trend that I've been seeing on the group right now is, okay, use Tito's vodka if you're feeling fancy or you need something gluten-free. But the, the big trend right now seems to be taking Everclear and diluting it with distilled water down to that you know, 80 proof area. Yeah. Particular reason for that approach as opposed to using vodka is it like people feel they get a cleaner extract from it or. Yeah. I think that's what people have found. They like that it doesn't have any other um, flavors or aromas that it gives to the extract. I personally just use vodka. We, we try to be really chill about the recommendations for alcohol that we give because the types of alcohol that are available or affordable around the United States and the world, because our group is international, vary so much. And we like in Utah, Tito's vodka is like forty to fifty dollars for a seven a seventeen fifty milliliter bottle. And I can I can just use like Monopoloa or Smirnoff and still get really great extract and it's half the price. But I know there's other places in the U.S. where Tito's is really affordable, and so that's why people like it there. It really, you just want kind of a mid-grade vodka. Um, We try to shy away from recommending the the bottom-of-the-shelf, super, super cheap varieties. No no (laughs) pop-off? Well, we have used it, and it worked. (laughs) Um, But if you use those really, really cheap ones, sometimes you'll get too much of a rubbing alcohol kind of a smell, and nobody wants that. And then, of course, there are people who are playing around with, because, I mean, look, people are going to play around, playing around with using different alcohols to do extracts like rum and bourbon, for instance, I've seen. But the the thing I thought was funny is you guys talk about, like with the, the extracts for vodka, you're talking about a year's time to really maximize your potential, right? Yeah, six months to a year typically a good amount of time to let the, let it extract. Although it is funny because I put my first order of beans that I'd gotten a couple of weeks back into some distilled water, never clear. 
And within three days, it was already it was already like nice and darkly colored and, and sort of potent smell, just not completely there. Yeah. The one thing I did notice was that you guys had talked in your recommendations, if you're using something like bourbon, that it actually takes closer to two years, really, to get what you guys consider to be the same sort of level of extract. Is that just because of like competition character? Yeah, it's just because of the, the competing flavors in the in the extract. The longer it sits, the stronger the vanilla will be. So if you have a, a stronger alcohol to begin with, it helps to have give it more time. And uh, walking back to the comment that I had made earlier about single fold and double fold in terms of extract, I mean that's if people hear those terms and even actually triple fold, I think for people who are crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's just literally how concentrated an an extract you're making just based on ratio of beans to booze, right? Yeah. So being a food scientist, we base a lot of our recommendations also on what the FDA guidance is for what's, what can be defined as vanilla extract. Um, it's just as a good starting place. And um, the FDA requirement for vanilla extract is um, they have a requirement of how many beans to alcohol you have to have in, in the mix in order for it to be considered vanilla extract. And so if you take that number of beans per it's like 13 ounces of beans per gallon of liquor. Anyway, um, if you take that ratio and you double it, then you have double fold. And if you triple it, you have triple fold and so on. Because I mean, a lot of times for baking, I'll, I'll use a a double fold extract just because I like to, uh, that extra vanilla character without necessarily diluting my dough or my custard too much. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why that people use that, but there are other things that, that they use as well. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I think we should touch on real quick is, given that we're talking about at least a six months process, humanity wants to speed things up all the time. And so people will go online and they will find tips, tricks, and hacks for making extracts faster. The one in particular is the the pressure cooker one. And I think we should warn everybody about that. Yes. The instant pot method is famous. <laughs> Infamous. Um, and it's not safe. Um if you think about what's happening when you put, you, and usually what people do is they put liquor and beans in a jar and put it in their pressure cooker and put water in the pressure, pressure cooker around the jar and then they heat it up to pressure for, I don't know, an hour or something. If you think about what's happening inside that pressure cooker, you're taking liquor, high proof liquor, and heating it up and getting it at pressure, which is just a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Don't do that. If you are yeah. in a in a hurry, the one trick I have used in the past, not with any of the beans I've gotten from you guys before, but the one trick I have used in the past is using a sous vide bath, which is still heating, but it's at like 130. <laughs> so it's considerably yeah. safer. And that's that's what we recommend to people. If they're if they're wanting to speed up their extract, if they're really anxious for it, use a sous vide. Or if you have a, a yogurt setting on like an instant pot or a, a really gentle, gentle heat, you want to keep it or not any hotter than 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Be safe. Don't be dumb. Yes. <laughs> well, and don't then, get blown up. Yes, please, please don't. <laughs> we don't need more news stories. The thing I thought was fascinating I hadn't, and I had actually never thought about before was, so you guys recommend store these beans in alcohol because that prevents mold growth and keeps them keeps them ready. And I had never really thought about the fact like, oh, yeah, you know, just keep the beans in alcohol and then take them out and use them. I'd, I've always taken spare spare vanilla beans, which might be an unusual concept, and and <laughs> vacuum sealed them and and kept them that way. Actually, 
pretty well so far. But I mean, you guys are are very adamant about storing them in alcohol to keep them safe and keep them from molding. Typically, vanilla beans don't mold when they're stored, but there is always that chance. And if you store them, we just store them submerged in alcohol. And what's the worst case scenario? You get some really great extract out of it. <laughs> That's kind of my thought. So yeah, I always store my beans submerged in alcohol just as a precautionary measure. Vacuum sealing is also a pretty good method. It it works too. It's just, we just recommend alcohol because it's kind of the tried and true go-to method. Oh yeah. Well, and I, and I found that my, my vacuum sealed beans go dry after, after a period of time, which is to be expected, yeah. right? You know, those, yeah, those bags do. aren't perfect. But the, the other thing I hadn't thought about was seeing people actually, you know, we talked about, Hey, scraping out the caviar, right? Split the beans, scrape out the caviar. But I hadn't even thought about the fact that, you know, people are throwing whole beans here in their extracts and then taking the beans out and stripping the caviar, you know, like snipping off an end and kind of pushing all the caviar out. And now you get this, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, vodka caviar goo <laughs> that you can use in the same way. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I do. And, um, I my yeah, my favorite way to make extract is I just put the beans in a jar and I often end up with like quadruple fold because I just shove the bean as many beans as I can into the jar and then cover it with alcohol, usually vodka. And then when I'm ready to use a bean, just use kitchen scissors and I can trip, trim one end of the bean off and then squeeze the caviar out like a tube of toothpaste and it kind of looks like it's just gooey, like kind of gooey caviar. <laughs> and it squeezes out into the recipe. And then I can snip the bean shorter and either let it dry into powder or let it dry and put it into sugar to make vanilla sugar or let it dry and or not let it dry and just put it back into the bottle and it'll keep making extract. Right, because the extract is largely grabbing compounds from the skin, right? So it's not exactly. really grabbing from the caviar. Not as much, yeah. And uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the the sugar thing, because this is one another one of those yeah. things that fascinated me, because I was taught, okay, if you want to make vanilla sugar, go get a, a jug, put your sugar in there, take a couple of vanilla beans, just kind of snip them in half, if you're feeling persnickety, and <laughs> shove them in the sugar, walk away, come back, and voila, vanilla sugar. But I've, I've been yeah. reading and watching people on the group, I mean, there are people who are doing some very serious things in order to get vanilla sugar. Yeah. Vanilla sugar, it's just vanilla scented sugar. So however you get the scent in there, it doesn't necessarily have to be a whole bean that you did that way. Um, there's lots of different ways you can do it. We have a lot of people in the group that will empty out their bag of freshly received vanilla beans, put the vanilla beans into the alcohol or whatever they're going to do with them, and then fill the bag with sugar so that the leftover oils that are on the inside of the bag will kind of imbibe into the sugar. Um and then we also have people that will let dry out fresh beans. Sometimes people will just get take a couple fresh beans and let them get dry enough so that they won't clump the sugar, just put them into the sugar. Um, or people will take stent beans and let them dry and then put those into the sugar. That's usually what I like to do is just use a, a bean that I've already kind of extracted, have already gotten the caviar out of it, let it dry, and then grind it and put that into the sugar. Well, yeah, yeah, I've seen like, yeah, grinding and grinding and sifting and all that sort of fun stuff. And the other one that, that I'd never thought about was actually making vanilla salt, which kind mm -hmm. of surprised me. I was like, going, wait, I don't, I can't actually think of a culinary use for vanilla salt. <laughs> Kettle corn. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. Yep. <laughs> That's how we like to use it sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, now I have a project. There you go. <laughs> 
Well, and I think one thing that's important for the, <clears throat> the brewers and the audience to know is, I mean, we're talking about all these different things you can do because, I mean, you can also make vanilla paste. You, you can use the vanilla in, I've seen people using it in like making bath bombs and, and beauty products and that sort of stuff. And you can do all that, but none of this stuff actually really takes a lot of effort. It just takes patience. Yeah. Uh, which is not terribly unlike brewing, except for brewing requires a lot of effort up front. <laughs> uh, just a, a touch into the into the beer world. So Denny, Denny likes to use either Hawaiian vanilla or van- vanilla extract. Um, I always recommend to people when they're making a beer that they're going to ha- add a vanilla flavor to it, actually just about any flavor, that is more reliable and generally a better end product to use a, an extract that you can know and you can taste and you can taste the impact on your, on your beer, just like you could on a baked good. Cause what we'll see a lot of times with brewers is they will take whole vanilla beans, you know, like maybe give them a rough chop or snip them in half and then toss them into the beer as it's aging and let it sit for say about a month or two. And then, you know, transfer that and have vanilla scented beer. But the problem is just like what we were talking about, they're not getting a real high efficiency extract doing that. They're not making a, a big, uh, a, a potent tincture with it because again, most beer is somewhere between five to 10% alcohol. So that 10 to 20 proof. Um, so you don't have as much solvent capability in the beer. That's the reason why I like to use an extract first, because I, one, I know I'm mac- maximizing the amount of vanillin and other compounds I'm actually getting from these very expensive beans and turning around and also having additional control for just how much vanilla is going into my final product. So now professional brewers have a different story because they have to be very careful. Uh, As you alluded to the FDA having rules about, you know, what actually makes a vanilla extract points to the fact that humanity will try and cheat and cheapen out wherever they can. (laughs) And, And so for brewers, they have rules that, limit the amount of external alcohol they can add to their product. So brewers have to be very, very careful about using things like extracts, lest they suddenly have to move into a higher tax bracket for their product and pay more for it. So I think that's the reason why you see a lot of professional brewers using beans straight, because if they're making the the extract with whatever alcohol is already in in their beer, they don't have to pay extra for it. Um, So it is a thing. I think at the homebrew level, at least, it's a much better play to use a homemade extract. And I think you'll have more control. And that might be a good um, use for a double fold or triple fold extract as well. You get more flavor for less liquid. Yeah, absolutely. And I, w- I will say, like, as we as we were talking about with the baked goods, so obviously beer does not get exposed to heat except for during the boil. Don't put your vanilla beans in the boil, please. Uh, don't do that. This is a bad idea. So no boiled vanilla, but because fermentation is such a violent activity with a lot of evolution of CO2, CO2 is very good at stripping volatile oils out of things, which means that if your vanilla is in there too early and you have a lot of CO2 evolving, all that CO2 is taking your vanilla compounds straight out of the, out of the beer and into the air. So while your brewery may smell nice for a little while, you're going to lose something in your final product. So if you're going to add vanilla, vanilla beans, vanilla extract, make sure you add that as late in the process as possible to maximize the amount of essential oils that are retained. Better for the nose, better for the tongue, and also it gives you a chance to be a little more flexible. Don't want to lose that lovely vanilla. <laughs> well, and again, so I've we've talked about it, but you know, you are bringing 
grade A beans, right? So you'd mentioned grading earlier and what the, I know grade A and grade B, yeah. I assume there's probably lower grades. Grade B are mostly used for, for making extract. Mm-hmm. You're, you are offering grade A beans, which are lovely, high quality. And I mean, they range in prices based on where they're coming from and what sort of plant they are. Um, right. But I mean, even then we're still talking what, I mean, these are typically somewhere around $10 an ounce. Yeah, typically our grade A beans have been about $10 an ounce. And so, uh, yeah, they're not cheap, even as uh, affordably as we can get them. <laughs> okay, but uh, but as a comparison, I mean, I have a five-ounce baggie of beans here. It is a stonking handful of beans. <laughs> yeah, if you go into your local grocery store and buy a vanilla bean, you know, they yeah. usually sell them like by a single bean in a test tube locked inside of a glass jar. And that one bean is going to cost you like seven bucks. Yeah. Know? Minimum. <laughs> yeah. And also, you don't know how long it's been sitting there on the dang shelf, so you don't know how good it is anymore. It's probably all dried out. Yep. <laughs> Again, vanilla is expensive. Hopefully, people have learned some of the reason why vanilla is expensive. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that you guys are are bringing this to people. You know, they can join uh, the, the Facebook group. It's just what, a vanilla bean co-op? Yep. Vanilla bean co-op. It's the one that has a blue checked cloth in the picture. <laughs> yep. Join the vanilla bean uh, co-op. You can get your hands on some of these vanilla beans. But Sarah, before I let you go, is there any other words of advice or words of knowledge about vanilla that people need to know? Oh, well, I don't think so. There's, there's no such thing as too much vanilla. <laughs> there you go. Wise words. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Thank you, everyone, for joining me on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration about the anything but boring vanilla bean. Go get yourself some vanilla beans and make some extract. Like I said in the program, I think it makes more sense for homebrewers to make our own tinctures rather than trying to deal with guesstimating just how many whole beans go where and when and how. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year, and is ending, like, next week, is World Central Kitchen, helping feed those who need help. Now, until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.